It was a particularly icy winter when a Minneapolis couple decided to escape the thaw by going to Florida. Now, between a very hectic family schedule and work obligations, to make arrangements work, what the plan was was for the husband to travel on Thursday and the wife to travel the next day. So off they went, the husband departing Minneapolis and arriving in Florida. He checks into the hotel and emails his wife to let her know that everything went okay. Now, he had been having some issues with his phone, and so he was advised to do a, a factory reset. The only problem was he forgot to do the backup and so forth, so he lost all of his contacts. So he had to type his wife's email address in from memory. Well, this is when things went awry. He transposed a couple of characters and without realizing his error, pressed send on the message. Meanwhile, in the suburbs of Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He had been a pastor. And so she came home and decided to check email, expecting to see a lot of messages, you know, from church friends who maybe weren't able to travel for the services. She read the first message, screamed, and passed out. Her son was there. She, he rushed into the room. He found his mom on the floor, passed out, and he looks at the computer screen and reads this. Subject, I've arrived. Hello, dear wife. You are probably surprised to hear from me. But good news, my phone is working. I've just arrived and I'm all checked in. Everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> I can't wait to see you and I, I hope your trip is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. It sure is hot down here. Context, context is everything. The same message carries very different meaning when it arrives in different settings. That's a lesson of communication that we learn early on. Kids know about this, right? They, need to, they know they need to check things out and see if mom and dad are in the right place, you know, to ask the question. Even as adults, if we have a, a sensitive subject to put on the table, we plan, we prepare. We're looking for just the right time to broach the topic. Perhaps we know the day has finally arrived and our loved one arrives, and so we go out to greet them, and they walk in the door, and immediately we know it's been one of those days, not the day for the big talk. Context matters. Settings, situations, circumstances, even our mood determine how or even if we receive the message that was intended. The question that I want us to wrestle with today is what is the best context for us to experience God? When and, and where do we have those heart-filling, soul-lifting experiences of being in God's presence? What are we doing? Now, 
in a room like this, I suspect there are many who could point to milestone moments when we knew that we had been almost overwhelmed by God's presence. Perhaps it was with God's people, maybe in a time of worship, maybe serving together on a mission team, perhaps a spiritual retreat or a camp. Maybe it was in nature. For those of us who have had that kind of experience, that God sighting, we usually observe a couple of things. First, those things are amazing gifts of grace. Second, they're pretty rare. But what if God sightings didn't have to be so rare? What if God's design and desire is that you and I would have an ever-expanding awareness of God's living, loving, actual, constant presence? Beloved, I've got good news. That is, in fact, God's design and desire. And better yet, God has made all the arrangements and all the provisions. It's not up to us to create it or conjure it, because the truth is, we could not if we tried. No, instead, we learned something really good and really important, that the setting, the situation, the circumstances are not as important as we have made them out to be. You see, our God, the God who made us, the God who spoke creation into existence, the God who knit us together in our mother's wombs, that God is the God who is able. That God is the God who is not limited by conditions or circumstances or context. He's not bound or constrained. This is the God whose design and desire is to be connected and present with us. Now, am I saying that the with God life is some perpetual mountaintop? Well, of course not. And you know better than that. And Jesus, one of the things that I love about him, I hope you do too, is that he was really straightforward with us. In John 16, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now that, that verse is comforting and really meaningful to a lot of us, but think about it for a moment, that Jesus overcoming the world doesn't mean much for us unless we're connected with him. Without that, Jesus has overcome, and we are, well, not. But the good news is that the center of Jesus' mission and ministry is to be connected with us, to have us connected with him. In fact, throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, the word of God is full of showing us that the heartbeat of God's mission is for us to be experiencing the God with us, us with God, life. In Genesis, we read about sin entering creation, separating humankind from God. Adam and Eve were feeling guilty 
and ashamed for having broken the relationship promise to God. And if you remember that passage, you may remember they were hiding. Do you remember what happens next? Genesis 3, 9. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Church, God has been asking that same question ever since. In fact, even before we knew it, he's been looking for us. And good news, he's not stopping. Zechariah 2.10, shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming. I will live among you, declares the Lord. Matthew, the gospel, chapter one, verse 23. The virgin, Mary, will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Revelation 21, verses three and four. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things had passed away. We hear those things, and it sounds so encouraging. Good news. And at the same time, we might struggle with a bit of a disconnect. A disconnect between these promises and our lived experience. When, when we experience that disconnect... It seems as though maybe those things are things that either happened back then or are yet to come. And when we're feeling that, when we're wrestling with that disconnect, we need to hear again those words, those promises of Jesus that Pastor Adam read to us just a few minutes ago from John 14. Look at verse 16. And I, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will check on you every so often, who will be with you when you're doing everything right. No, no, that's, that's not what he said, is it? He will give you another advocate who will what? Never leave you. That, that word, advocate, in different translations is rendered as encourager, counselor, comforter. The original Greek word is paraclete. It means literally one who's called to one side, who comes alongside. That's the good news. Look at verses 18 and 19. Jesus said, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. I want you to note that there are two promises here. One, Jesus says that he's going to come to us. Two, he's going to give us a special ability that we're going to be able to see, to sense something about his presence. It's his promise. 
So then the question becomes, when? There's good news there. Jesus answers that in verse 20. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Church, this is, this is the really good news, right? Because we're living in the time that this has been fulfilled. Because Jesus has been raised. We're in the time that we can know this. So the question then becomes, how? How do we live into this? How do we push back against the deeply embedded assumption that experiencing God is limited to only a few rare moments in just the right context? Well, the beauty of being part of the family of faith is that we can learn from one another. In fact, we can learn from those who've gone before. One of those from whom we can learn is Nicholas Herman of Lorraine. He's now known as Brother Lawrence. It was 1666 in Paris that Nicholas went to live and serve among the monastic community of the Carmelites. And when I say serve, I really mean serve. He, he didn't have some perch of leadership or prestige or power. He was not well educated. He had a lowly post, the humblest of roles. And yet, such was his impact that others memorialized their conversations with him and saved letters he had written. And those were compiled into a, a simple book entitled, The Practice of the Presence of God. The premise of that simple book and what might be said as the core conviction of Brother Lawrence's life is that each of us has the capacity to experience God's presence in the ordinariness of everyday life. For Brother Lawrence, we can savor God's presence in the kitchen just as much as we can in the sanctuary. He wrote, if we knew the need, that's the key, if we knew the need that we have of the grace and the assistance of God, we would never lose sight of him. No, not for a moment. He is always near you and with you. Do not leave him alone. Brother Lawrence uses a simple illustration. He said, I want you to imagine that you invite a friend to your house, but then you just ignore them. Now, you and I both know we would never do that. And yet, could it not be said that too often we, in fact, do that with God? I think often we've become conditioned to, to relegate God to fleeting moments special times of the day. And we leave the balance of the time with us pursuing our own agenda by our own strength, according to our own timetable, for our own goals. The implication is that we'll get to this with God life when we have more time. We, we might call it cats in the cradle spirituality. 
Do you remember that, that Harry Chapin song about how fast kids grow up and before we know it, they're out of the house? Chapin imagines a conversation. The lyric of the song is the conversation between a father and a son. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Chapin captures that relationship-robbing habit of our overscheduled, starved of presence, overpromised culture. I don't know when, but, but we'll get together then. And the great irony is that this squeezing of God into the edges of life is happening often at the very same time that you and I cry out, Lord, where are you? It's just like David cried out in Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? We blame God. But could it be that this spiritual starvation, this desert experience, is in fact self-imposed? Could it be that the one whom we most need and even if we do not yet realize it, the one whom we most desire is in fact here, is in fact available to us. Could it be that we have become so distorted and distracted and discouraged that we are missing the moment? Or better said, missing the moments. Men and women, there's, there's a better way. Brother Lawrence was beautifully practical. We ought to behave with God in the greatest simplicity, speaking to him frankly and plainly and imploring his assistance in all our affairs, just as they happen. It was said that with Brother Lawrence, set times of prayer and worship were no different than any other time. That for him, he was just disciplined and intentional and, and consistent about being aware that God is here. His way was found in just going straight to the Lord, about doing all things for the Lord's sake. He was not about changing his works. His advice, we should do for God's sake that which we commonly do for our own. He counseled, we should not weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards, hear this, not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. You see what's being described? This is not some 
new list of things to do. It is instead a, a new way of being, a new mindset, a refusal to believe that God only shows up when the conditions are just so. This is the radical choice to believe and behave as though what Jesus promised is actually true, that he is with us, and that his being with us is not a function of how well we're doing. In fact, the reason, the reason that grace is amazing is precisely because we stumble and we struggle, we waver and we wander, yet he never leaves. He remains faithful even when we're faithless. There is so much more of God to be experienced and to be seen. And the good news is this is not something we do. It's something we receive. So I think the, the only question for us as we walk out these doors and go about our lives is this. Do we want it? C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, wrote these words. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Lewis wrote, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Men and women, let us cease to be far too easily pleased by a so-called part-time God. Let us actually live and believe and behave as though what Jesus promised us is true. Let us ask. Let us seek. Let us knock. Let us find. For he who promised He's faithful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, too often we ignore you. We get in a hurry. We get so focused on so many other things. We, we even get greedy. We want to we wanna force into the present that which belongs to another time. Lord, I, I pray you would save us from picking unripe fruit. Make us present to one another and most of all to you. We long and we pray to be a contagious community of hospitality. We long and we pray in this place to be a, a life-giving community of growth. We long and we pray to be a selfless community of action. 
But Lord, we cannot do these things on our own. We are woefully inadequate. So open our eyes. Open our eyes, Lord, and help us see how much we need you and how faithfully you are there. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said,